Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We're now in our second season, and we're more excited than ever to continue to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. We look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here are issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show on oceans and waters, the first of our shows on that topic. And today we're going to talk about the problem with oceans, environmental and health issues and threats. Now, the oceans are vast. They cover more than 70% of the Earth's surface, and they hold 97% of the world's water. And they're host to some of the planet's most diverse ecosystems, and they support economies in countries all around the world. Microscopic organisms in the seas are a major source of our atmosphere. And by absorbing more than 90% of the excess heat that's released into the Earth's environment, and nearly one-third of the carbon dioxide emissions, the oceans slow the planet's warming and they stabilize the global climate. The oceans are totally essential to human health and well-being. They provide food to billions, they provide livelihoods to millions, and they're the source of multiple essential medicine. They have traditional cultural value and are a source, of course, of joy, beauty, peace, and recreation. The oceans are particularly important to the health and well-being of people in the small island nations, as well as the high Arctic and in coastal communities, especially those in the global south. The very survival of these vulnerable populations depends on the health of our seas. And despite their vast size, the oceans are under threat, and human activity is the primary source of those threats. For centuries, people have assumed that our vast ocean was limitless and it was immune to human impacts. And it's only recently that scientists have come to understand the devastating effects we've already had on our seas. Our oceans are in trouble more today than ever before. And changing the way that we treat our oceans isn't just about the creatures that live in them. It's about the people who depend on them. And globally, more than 3 billion people rely on our oceans and coastal ecosystems for their livelihood. They affect the livelihoods of everyday people in our everyday lives in both subtle as well as substantial ways. This is a lot. So here today to help us unpack some of this and to help us understand more of this is Marin Hawk. Marin is the Fisheries and Commercial Manager for the Marine Stewardship Council, the United States Division. The Marine Stewardship Council is a global science-based nonprofit dedicated to ending overfishing worldwide. Their vision is a world in which our one shared ocean is teeming with life and seafood, and its supplies are safeguarded for the future. That is, they're looking for a sustainable ocean and sustainable seafood. And so, 
they are the absolute perfect people for us to talk to today to tell us about the problems with our ocean from both the environmental perspective and somewhat from the health perspective. Marin is responsible for outreach and education of the Marine Stewardship Council's standards to fisheries and seafood supply chain companies. Marin is the main point of contact for these entities, and she has a thorough and working knowledge of the Marine Stewardship Council's programs, the fisheries, and the standards. Marin graduated from the National Fisheries Institute Future Leaders Program, and prior to joining the Marine Stewardship Council, she worked at the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission as a fishery management plan coordinator. So she is what we call an expert. Welcome, Marin. We're so glad you could join us today. Thank you, Bernice. I'm very happy to be here. Marin, would you start us off by describing for our listeners what you consider to be the top four threats or problems with and to our oceans, and why ordinary folks in their everyday lives should care about each of these threats? Not so much why they should, but why they must care about them. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I think of the ocean, they're so vast, it's kind of crazy to wrap your head around it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there are really three threats facing them today, and, and they're kind of big buckets, and we can certainly dive into each of the buckets. The first is climate change. Uh, that's a huge overarching problem. Uh, the second is overfishing. And then the third is pollution. And I would include all different sorts of pollution, noise pollution, chemical pollution, plastic pollution under that category. The reason we should care about the ocean health is, as you said, the ocean is integral in making this planet livable for us. If the ocean didn't exist, we would not, as humans, be able to live, live on this planet. So again, it's very important to all of us. I want to dig into each of these a little bit, and it's, <laughs> I don't know if you can say one is more of a threat than the other, or maybe let's start by which is more the imminent threat of the three, climate change, overfishing, or pollution. I think the most tangible, perhaps, would be overfishing and pollution. Let's start with pollution then. What are the pollutants? I know that plastic plays a big role. Our theme topic, I think it was months before last, was about plastic pollution. So talk to us about how does plastic pollution impact the ocean? Connect the dots for our listeners. Okay. So when you pick up a plastic water bottle, you drink the plastic water bottle, you may discard it in a recycle bin or you might discard it in the trash can, you know, depending on where you are. Uh, A lot of those plastic bottles, even though they're discarded properly, get blown out of trash trucks or recycle trucks and they end up in a local stream or river. So let's say you have a stream right outside your house. Maybe that water bottle ended up in that stream and then it slowly trickles all the way down the water system to a larger stream, to a river, and finally to the ocean. So once that plastic water bottle is in the ocean, it's very difficult for us to retrieve it. And the wave action of the ocean will actually break that plastic water bottle down into tiny little microbeads, pieces of tiny little pieces of plastic. Once the plastic is in that tiny form, it can actually be eaten by fish, it can end up in our food, and it can also impact the ecosystem of the ocean because it's not good for other uh, organisms to eat that plastic either. So that's in a nutshell kind of how plastic pollution is, is bad for human health because it could ultimately end up in our food supply and it does impact the ocean ecosystem negatively. Let's keep going on that example. And we've been told the bigger are the problems is what they call the nanoplastics and the microbeads, which apparently are ingested by 
seafood. I guess fish, is it lobster, shrimp also? Yes, I think that anything in the ocean of that magnitude could be eaten. It could be mistaken for phytoplankton and is ingested by seafood, yes. So the seafood, the sea animals are eating this. And so when they get to our table, are these micro nanoplastics still there and then we ingest them right along with the seafood we're eating? I think in some cases, yes. Uh, and that's something that's really unpreventable because of how small those microbeads are. Uh, the other thing that those microbeads do is the seabirds will actually eat them. And then the seabirds end up dying because they are unable to eat other food. Their stomachs are full of plastic. And speaking of them dying, what is the impact upon those plastics with the sea life that eats them? I have to think that maybe it's the amount or some types of plastic has got to have a very detrimental effect on the life of some of the seafood. It, it does, absolutely. Because they're eating plastic and not the nutrients they need to be eating, they are sick. Uh, they don't have as many nutrients, perhaps, as we would want them to have in our seafood and that type of thing. So we've talked about plastic. What are some of the other pollutants and chemicals are we seeing there? The only other type of pollution that I think of that's not as relevant to a seafood or human health, but is definitely detrimental to the oceans, is noise pollution from a lot of the shipping traffic that uh, is going on all, all around the world. And that's uh, basically if you're a whale and you, and you need to communicate with other whales with their nice calls, that noise pollution gets in the way, so they're unable to communicate, they're unable to find their mates and things like that. So it can be a big problem. This is interesting, and we'll touch back on noise pollution when we come back on the other side of the break, which we are going to go to now. And we want to give a shout-out to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festival, interactive experiences, and now EarthX Streaming TV. Our other sponsor is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available online free for download at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsors, Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body, specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn, is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We are back with our show on the problems with our oceans, and we are back with Marin Hawk with the Marine Stewardship Council. Not only is she their expert in terms of fisheries, but she's also a diver. And when you see her picture headshot, she also looks like a rock star. So again, thank you, Marin, for being with us. Now, before we race to break, you were telling us about the noise pollution, which nobody thinks of. And I gather you were talking about that being a real hazard to whales. And could you just remind us again, what is the danger? What negative impact is that making on whales? I know they're sound sensitive. 
Yeah, so they're sound sensitive. It's, I'm aware of whales being impacted by it. I'm sure other marine, eco, other marine animals are as well. Uh, but whales, they get confused from the ambient noise from all of these large vessels. Mm-hmm. And so they can't find directions. They are unable to communicate with each other. And a lot of times they end up getting lost. I read a lot about ocean acidification and coral bleaching. Does that come from some kind of pollution or what? So ocean acidification is uh, more related to climate change, which I think we're talking about in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, coral bleaching is also related to climate change. Okay. And then what about the high levels of mercury? Where is that coming from? I think what happens in that instance is because there's mercury in seawater and in the environment, it kind of builds up in the food chain. Okay. Okay. And so that's why there is a caution that the the fish at the higher levels of the food chain, say sharks, might have higher levels of mercury than the ones that's lower on the food chain, which would be clams and oysters. And one last thing before we leave pollution, again, these are some things that I've heard about or read about, and that is the emissions from power plant. So warm water. Right. And then I'm wondering, is there stuff in that warm water? You know, maybe we don't know this. What I do know for sure is that they use a lot of water. And so I have to wonder, where is that water going and what's in that water that they're using? I think all of us have to be just a lot more sensitive to things that are, what you mentioned before, flowing or running off into the ocean. And while the initial runoff or flow might be to some urban waterways, which we're going to dig into our urban waterways next week on our show. But many of the urban waterways go into tributaries that eventually end up in oceans. Exactly. All the watersheds are connected on Earth, really. And that's something we just have to remember. Indeed. Let's talk now about the big one, and that is climate change. Okay. And connect the dots for our listeners how climate change is really destroying our oceans and the threat that it's causing, not just environmentally, but how it works on back up to us as humans. When I think about climate change and the oceans, I like to take a step back because climate change is such a huge topic. And I don't know if you've ever seen this image, Bernice. It's uh, from the space, the International Space Station. One of the astronauts took a picture of Earth from that far away. And Earth looks just like a tiny little marble from space. And so when we think about climate change, we have to remember that we are just a tiny marble floating through space. And while we may look out the window and see trees and streams and not think of the people on the other side of the world, what we do ultimately impacts them because we're sharing the same atmosphere and the same earth. So now to bring it down to the oceans, the oceans are integral to us being able to live on earth because as you mentioned, they absorb heat, they provide oxygen, and they absorb carbon dioxide. What they do is the, the, um, the currents in the ocean take heat from the equator, move it to the poles. That makes those areas livable. And what climate change is doing is actually altering those patterns so that certain areas, such as Texas, might experience more severe weather, like you guys experienced about two weeks ago, and other areas would experience drought. And so these changes while slow to come and nobody really knows how things are going to change, will have a huge impact on our environment and what we do on a daily basis, really. The rising temperatures of the sea itself, we hear a lot about that, and that's got to be making a lot of changes all along the way. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so what happens there, and, and there are 
the occurrence is one aspect of climate change that impacts the oceans. The other, as you mentioned, is the increase in fossil fuels that have been released into our atmosphere means excess carbon dioxide. The ocean has absorbed that excess carbon dioxide and the ice caps are also melting. So there's extreme heat going into the ocean and there's extra water going into the ocean. So that's causing sea level rise and an increase in temperature. The sea level rise has huge impacts on any coastal areas. I think in Florida, they're thinking about how they manage those coastal zones, whether they should move uh, different cities back further from the coast to avoid sea level rise. And then the increase in temperature kind of leads to coral bleaching and just overall detriment to the ecosystem and all the organisms that live there. So Marin, how is that rise in temperature affecting the quantity and the quality of life of the fish and the other organisms in our seas? The, so the, the temperature changes have caused pretty dramatic shifts in where different fish species are found. So some fish species that have been, uh, you know, to the northern latitudes have actually expanded their range. So they're being found in places they've never been found before, which is great for those countries that now have access to new seafood, right? But in the equator, in the tropics, it seems that the, the ranges of those species are actually contracting. And so they're shrinking. And so where people rely on seafood so much is actually where there's being a huge, there is a huge impact from climate change. Interesting. So when it gets too hot, the seafood or the fish leave one area and they go to another area where the climate is more amenable to them. Right, because they like certain temperatures. They're right. very picky. You know, like, they, yeah. they want to be in a certain time, a certain temperature range, and so they'll go wherever that is, which means they're basically, you know, picking up and moving to completely new areas that we never expected them to be. Are there economic impacts or stats at this point where we can see that that's happening and what has happened? There are, yes. There are, there are predictions uh, that in the tropics, they're supposed to see significant declines in their seafood catch up to 40% as a result of climate change and the changes in these distribution patterns of fish. That's a big number, and I have to think that that's going to filter into a pretty big economic impact, either by way of prices they pay for seafood or by way of wages if it's part of their livelihood. Absolutely, yeah. And, and remember, the, a lot of the communities that live near the equator depend so heavily on seafood for their livelihoods, but also for their primary source of protein. Yes. So them lacking access to that can really become a huge food security issue, not having access to food. And it can create some more climate refugees. Exactly, it can, yeah. In an age of nationalism. I have to think, too, that maybe that whole thing is something that's on the radar of the UN. It is, yeah. So the, the United Nations has these things called Sustainable Development Goals. Right, right. And, and there are, I think, 15 of them. Uh, several of them deal with food security and ocean um, you know, access to clean water, all types of things. So definitely on the United Nations radar. Indeed. And it's really something that should be being dealt with now before there's, again, a climate refugee crisis, like millions of people leaving one part of the world going to another simply to survive. Exactly. Yep. It's very far-reaching. And we've got just a couple more minutes before we go to break. So I want to kind of wrap up any other issues about climate change as it relates to our seas and our, our ocean? You mentioned uh, coral bleaching. Right. 
so so coral bleaching is I'm very concerned about that as a scuba diver because that impacts you know the beautiful places that we go scuba diving. What happens in that situation is the sea is so warm that the coral expels its uh, partner basically, and so then the coral cannot continue to live. Uh, it becomes white and it's not very pretty. The good news is there have been studies that if the temperature then goes back to normal or is reduced, the coral, the partner will come back in and the coral will actually unbleach. So it is an issue, but it's positive that there can, you know, can return to normal. There was a major film documentary on that, and they were actually showing how this really happened with the coral. I saw that like two Earth days ago. Before we go to break, one last thing in terms of threats. We talked about pollution, but I don't think we just talked outright about the trash. We didn't, no. You've got the plastic pollution, but then there's the trash and these huge, what they call them, jars in the ocean or the trash patches. Is that getting bigger or less, or is there being an impact made there briefly from what you know? From my understanding, they're getting larger. Uh, yeah, there are, they're huge. I mean, bigger than you could even imagine, just trash floating in the ocean, uh, being ingested by wildlife, cluttering up the shores, our beautiful beaches, all kinds of terrible impacts from that trash, yeah. Indeed. Again, affecting the environment as well as on down to our health. We've been with Marin Hawk with the Marine Stewardship Council. We're going to go to break now. On the other side, we will have Marin back with us to talk more about this and to talk about her area of expertise in terms of fisheries. But also, we want to talk a little about the health impacts as it relates to the problems with our ocean. We'll be right back on the other side. Thank you, Marin. back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today, to our first show this month on oceans and waters. And today we're talking about the problems with our oceans, environmental and health issues and threats. And we are back with Marin Hawk with the Marine Stewardship Council. And we're so very happy to have her here and she's making us all much smarter. Welcome back again. Thank you, Marin, for being with us. Thanks, Bernice. The first part of our show, we've talked a lot about the major threats and issues with our oceans. And right before I let that go, <laughs> I want to touch upon the human impacts and threats to the oceans briefly, and then we want to move more into some of the work that you all do. What are the major human threats and impacts? So a lot of the things that we've talked about are a direct result of human activity. Yeah. So fertilizers on your lawn, um, using single-use plastics, all of those things are activities that we could reduce, and they would have a positive impact on the ocean. Um, even, you know, driving your car less, taking public transportation to get to the climate change issue. Yeah. Um, it's really a lot of it is because we're such a successful, you know, we're successful as humans, and we basically change the environment to be exactly how we want it. Um, we have had an impact on that environment. So would you tell us more about the Marine Stewardship Council and how you come in contact with these threats that we've talked about and how you deal with them in your work. Absolutely, yeah. So we are a nonprofit, as you mentioned. We've been around for just over 20 years, and we own a standard that fisheries are assessed against. A fishery is a group of fish in a specific area caught by a specific technique. 
So, uh, for example, down in Texas, there is a shrimp fishery off the coast of Texas. Do fisheries belong to companies or people, or it belongs to nature? Who owns the fishery? Fisheries belong to nature. Okay. In many cases, companies uh, purchase rights to go fish on them. In other cases, fishermen do that work for us. So each fishery is set up differently, but they all do belong. Nobody owns a fishery. Thank you for schooling us on exactly what a fishery is. And again, that's a very important aspect of our show is to make sure that people really understand it. We like to fashion ourselves as explainers in chief. And so you're helping us out greatly. Thank you, Mary. Go ahead. Absolutely, yeah. So we, we own a, the MSC owns a standard that fisheries are assessed against to prove that they are sustainable. So sustainability, it means, sustainability means that you can go fish on that fishery, so take fish out of the ocean at a certain rate forever. So you're fishing it so that the fish can reproduce and put themselves uh, and replace themselves. Um, and they can do that forever. So that's what sustainability means. It means fish forever, basically. <laughs> um, and so we own a standard that fisheries can be assessed against to prove that they are sustainable. And so within that standard, we have different performance indicators or topics that the fishery would be assessed against. Those topics range from, you know, the basic status of the fishery stock, how many fish are in the water, to uh, how much other fish are caught, and how does that fishing method impact the environment, and how does management control the fishery? Are there too many people fishing in that fishery? Are there too few? That kind of thing. So all those subtopics are included in the standard. So when a fishery passes our certification, it means that they are at a great level for all of those different topics. And this is what people can understand it to mean when they're buying sustainable fish from Whole Foods or they're ordering fish from one of my favorite restaurants, Celebration Restaurant here, and they offer sustainable fish. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So sustainable means good for you and good for the oceans. That's what it means. How is it good for us? Seafood is incredibly healthy for us. It has omega-3s and other omegas that I can't recall off the top of my head that contribute to brain health, um, overall body health. The suggestion is that you eat seafood twice a week at least to get these very important, I think they're amino acids, uh, very important nutrients. But does that mean then that this fish doesn't have a lot of mercury and plastic and a lot of those other things we talked about? The, the fish that would have more mercury and more plastics are really the fish at the top of the food chain. And we don't eat too many of those fish, really. So sharks, we don't eat. Tuna, we do eat. Um, but it's not too big of a concern because the level of fish that we eat in the United States isn't so high that we would consume so much mercury and so much plastic. Okay, but I want to dig a little into top of the food chain, and it isn't so high. So, for example, we here in Texas like catfish. When I lived in Florida... And we'd go fishing. My friends would catch a catfish, and they'd throw it back in. They said, we don't eat catfish. <laughs> you know, they're into grouper and many of the others and things like that. So where are those on the fish food chain, and where's shrimp and where's lobster? Okay, yep. So at the bottom of the fish food chain would be oysters, mussels, seaweed. In the middle, catfish would also be at the bottom. In the middle would be groupers, uh, snappers. And then at the top, swordfish, tunas, and sharks. Okay. 
And so the top is, in, in this case, many of us don't eat shark, but most of us eat tuna. And so that's where we would likely get more mercury. Yeah, so if you eat tuna, I think there have been studies that yes. if you eat tuna three times a day, every day, for seven days, you would obviously have a, a pretty high level of mercury, but it's still below the recommended level by the CDC. So you would have to eat a lot of fish to get to the level of mercury that's dangerous to us. But it is definitely something to be aware of, especially for pregnant women. And on the other end of that, the catfish that us Texans like <laughs> and the shrimp and oysters and all of that are very low in those types of things. Yeah. Speaking of the catfish, the oysters, the shrimp, what do those come in exposure to as it relates to some of the threats and issues of our seas? They are very healthy options, honestly. If, if you're thinking of eating for the ocean, seafood for the ocean, I would say definitely look for MSC-certified seafood and then focus on those lower trophic level, lower food chain options, such as shrimp, oysters, or local options. So if you live in Texas and you have this fresh, beautiful shrimp coming off the boat, then that's a great option to right. eat that shrimp. The, the chemicals, uh, from a human health perspective, it's so important to get the seafood into our bodies that the tiny amount of chemicals or plastic that would be in those lower food chain individuals or species would not matter much to us. Marin, you're talking about the standards, the MSC for Marine Stewardship Council, the MSC standards that you apply to the fisheries. How do you do that? How does that happen? So it's a completely voluntary program, um, and we at the Marine Stewardship Council do not actually uh, assess the fisheries. It's a completely third-party system. So if, Bernice, you uh, had a company in Texas and you wanted to get a catfish fishery certified because your customer asked for it, you would come to us and we would tell you a little bit about the MSC program, how the standard looks at how many fish are there, the impacts of the fishing gear, and the management in place. And then you would actually contact what's called a third-party assessor to do the assessment for you. And you would have a relationship with them to go through this. And that's why it's a third-party auditing program. It's the highest level of integrity that you can have in a certification program. And really briefly, because we have one minute to go before we go to the break, what is the participation in this? How many fisheries participate? Do you have any numbers on the percentage of the fish out there that's put through the hoops of your standards? We do, yeah. In the United States, we have over 85% of the volume of fish certified, which is amazing. That is amazing. And we'll talk about that a little bit more on the other side of our break. Thank you, Marion. We'll be right back with Marion Hawk with the Marine Stewardship Council. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festival, interactive experiences, and now EarthX streaming TV service. Our other sponsors, Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods, markets, natural grocers, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, 
DYI classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at NHG.com. And our other sponsors, Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio to today's show on oceans and waters. And this is the last segment of today's show on the problems with our oceans, environmental and health issues and threats. As we talked about, the ocean is home to the greatest diversity of major plant, animal and microbial groups on Earth. But polluted oceans don't just harm wildlife. They're also a source of ill health for humans, too. Certain metals, such as zinc, are essential to life in very small amounts, but they're toxic in higher concentrations. Others, such as mercury or cadmium, are not used in normal metabolism, and they're harmful when taken into the body. Ingesting toxic metals can have serious effects on the kidney, liver, immune system, central nervous system, and other organs. And over 90% of metal mercury exposure occurs through the ingestion of contaminated fish and shellfish. In the past 20 years, mercury concentrations in the Pacific Ocean have increased 30% due to increases in human atmospheric emissions from industries and coal-burning power plants, and these are estimated to rise to approximately 50% by the year 2050. As well, Over a few decades, humans have managed to dump tons upon tons of garbage, as we talked about earlier, into the ocean. Of the most devastating elements of this pollution is that plastics take thousands and thousands of years to decay. As a result, fish and wildlife are becoming intoxicated with plastics. And consequently, the toxins from the plastics have entered our food chain as well as our bodies. Ocean pollution is widespread, as we talked about, and it's worsening, and it poses a clear and present danger to human health and human well-being. The nature now and the magnitude of these impacts are only now beginning to be completely understood. A recent study that was published by the Annals of Global Health that was titled Human Health and Oceans and was published last year. And the study provides one of the first comprehensive assessments of the impacts of ocean pollution on human health. Ocean pollution, it determines, is a complex mixture of toxic metals, plastics, manufactured chemicals, petroleum, urban and industrial waste, pesticides, fertilizers, pharmaceutical chemicals, agricultural runoff, and sewage. And more than 80% arises from land-based sources, as Marion had mentioned earlier, and it reaches the oceans through rivers, runoff, deposition from the atmosphere, where airborne pollutants are washed into the ocean by rain and snow, and direct dumping, such as pollution from wastewater treatment plants and discarded waste. Ocean pollution, unfortunately, is heaviest near the coast and most highly concentrated along the coastlines of low-income and middle-income countries. So it's problematic. The study concludes that ocean pollution is a global problem. 
as Marion made her point a couple of times, it travels. It doesn't stop at anybody's borders. It arises from multiple sources and crosses national boundaries and is the consequence many times of reckless, short-sighted, and unsustainable exploitation of our Earth's resources. And its economic costs are only just beginning to be fully understood and fully calculated. So again, let's dig into this a little more while we still have Marion. Again, thank you, Marion, for being with us. Marion Hawk is with the Marine Stewardship Council. And she's been telling us about fisheries and about the MSC's standards. But I'd like for you to talk to us a little about overfishing. I see this is a big issue with the Marine Stewardship Council, but it's also listed as one of those big threats. So talk to our listeners and actually connect the dots for us about how overfishing impacts not only our environment, but also human health and how it impacts local communities. Yeah, sure. So overfishing, the term, means that you are taking too many fish out of the ocean that that population of fish cannot replace themselves and continue to live. Uh, it is the main mission of the Marine Stewardship Council to stop overfishing globally and ensure that there are sustainable fish stocks all over the world. When a fishery is overfished, it is much more susceptible to impacts from climate change. And that's because um, an overfished fishery might not be as resilient to changes in the stock distribution, it might not have the management in place uh, to adjust to any of that uncertainty that comes from climate change. At a local level, overfishing is hugely important because those communities depend on fish to live. So if you depend on snapper to, to feed your family every night, and there's so many people in your village uh, fishing for snapper, you come one day, you go out and there's no more snapper, you wouldn't have any food to feed your family. Overfishing is also uh, a huge impact on the ocean ecosystem. If you take too many fish out of the ocean, they are not able to play their role in the ecosystem and have other fish eat them. So overfishing is a huge problem. Uh, we at the Marine Stewardship Council, that's what our standard was created to counter. Two things just jumped out at me is the fact that you would decrease the amount or the body of fish that are necessary to maintain certain other balances and populations in the aquatic population and in terms of the seafood that we eat. Are we ever at danger or do you foresee that we would be a danger about perhaps totally wiping some or any species into extinction like we do some of our land animals? So there are some species that we do like to eat quite a bit, such as bluefin tuna, and cod. There was a collapse of the cod fishery up in Canada about 20 years ago that resulted in the creation of the Marine Stewardship Council. So it is certainly possible. I don't know of any extinctions. Uh, what generally happens is the fish population in one area collapses so that that community doesn't have access to it. That ecosystem is heavily impacted, uh, but the fish may show up somewhere else. And because cod, you know, cod are so far ranging, that it would be kind of difficult for them to go extinct hours. When you said it was the cod species was collapsing, what do you mean by that? I mean, uh, but there were reports back in the 1880s, I think it was, that you could walk on cod all the way from the east coast of Canada to Europe. That's how many cod were oh, in the ocean. Yep. But because the, the fishery was overfished, it's, it's what we call overexploited. 
the cod weren't able to reproduce and replenish themselves. And so the whole local economy of the, that part of Canada collapsed because it had been built to go fish for cod. Are you all, as marine stewards, are you seeing any other species that may be on the verge of collapsing or that you are concerned about? Tuna would be a big one that we are focused on ensuring that there are sustainable tuna stocks. Um, and so that, I think that is kind of up there on the list of concerned species. You can certainly find sustainable tuna when you go grocery shopping, but you just have to know where to look. If you're looking for sustainable tuna, all you have to do is look for the MSC Bluefish label on products. It'll be on the canned tuna. You can find it in Walmart and Whole Foods or any of your local retailers. Since tuna is of concern, what's being done? Yep, absolutely. So any, any fisheries that have entered our program, they meet our requirements, and then they actually are required to continue to improve as part of being in our program. So it's not like we give them a sustainable stamp and then we forget about them. They have to continue to improve their science and improve their management to meet what we call global best practice. So that's what everybody globally kind of agrees, the science agrees on. And so it's very important that they do continue to do those improvements because as technology improves, it's, it's an incentive to continue fishing sustainably. And really briefly, I've read the term seafood supply chains. What are these and are they different supply structures? Yeah, so a seafood supply chain is basically the journey that the seafood takes from when it's taken out of the ocean to when it gets to your plate. Uh, there are thousands of different seafood supply chains. What's important to think about when you think about your seafood supply chain is whether it's traceable. And if you can make sure that what's on your plate is coming from the fishery that you think it's coming from. And we actually, at the MSC, we have a traceability component of our program so that if you do see fish with the blue fish label on it, you know it's coming from a certified sustainable fishery. Talk to our listeners, kind of like your final words. What does it mean to be a good steward of the ocean, and how can everyday people in their everyday lives make a positive impact? Being a good steward of the ocean is really having awareness of how your actions can impact the ocean, and we've talked a lot about those today. Mm -hmm. I think there are three things uh, that we can do. One, uh, make sure that you're eating sustainable seafood. Look for that blue fish when you go grocery shopping. Two, try to reduce your single-use plastics. So if you like to drink bottled water, uh, maybe switch to a reusable water bottle and filtered water. And then three is try to reduce your fossil fuels. So how much you drive, take public transportation, uh, do simple things like that. And those are things we can do every day that will have a positive impact. Thank you. And thank you for making that point because I think so many people don't realize how driving the car and the plastic, how that ends up in the ocean affecting the amount and quality of seafood that we have, as well as our ocean environment. Thank you so much. We've been with Marin Hawk today with the Marine Stewardship Council. You have indeed made us smarter, and thank you. You've given us a lot of information, and I think really helped to move the ball forward for people understanding the importance of our oceans, even though we live here in landlocked Texas and many other landlocked places. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is the result of a trillion tiny acts 
taken by billions of people every day, like yourself. And each of these tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up, one way or the other, to the change that we each live through. This is Bernice Butler, your host. Thank you so much for joining us today and join us again next week for more on our oceans and waters. Thank you.